Chapter Six of the Beast of Tarzan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Christopher. The Beast of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Six: A Hideous Crew. The war canoe with its savage load moved slowly toward the break in the reef through which it must pass to gain the open sea. Tarzan, Mugambi, and Akut wielded the paddles, for the shore kept the west wind from the little sail. Sheeta crouched in the bow at the ape-man's feet, for it had seemed best to Tarzan always to keep the wicked beast as far from the other members of the party as possible, since it would require little or no provocation to send him at the throat of any than the white man, whom he evidently now looked upon as his master. In the stern was Mugambi, and just in front of him squatted Akut, while between Akut and Tarzan the twelve hairy apes sat upon their haunches, blinking dubiously this way and that, and now and then turning their eyes longingly back toward shore. All went well until the canoe had passed beyond the reef. Here the breeze struck the sail, sending the rude craft lunging among the waves that ran higher and higher as they drew away from the shore. With the tossing of the boat the apes became panic-stricken. They first moved uneasily about, and then commenced grumbling and whining. With difficulty a cut kept them in hand for a time but when a particularly large wave struck the dugout simultaneously with a little squall of wind their terror broke all bounds and leaping to their feet they all but overturned the boat before akut and tarzan together could quiet them at last calm was restored and eventually the apes became accustomed to the strange antics of their craft after which no more trouble was experienced with them the trip was uneventful the wind held and after ten hours steady sailing the black shadows of the coast loomed close before the straining eyes of the ape-man in the bow it was far too dark to distinguish whether they had approached close to the mouth of the ugambi or not so tarzan ran through the surf at the closest point to await the dawn the dugout turned broadside the instant that its nose touched the sand and immediately it rolled over with all its crew scrambling madly for the shore the next breaker rolled them over and over but eventually they all succeeded in crawling to safety and in a moment more their ungainly craft had been washed up beside them. The balance of the night the apes sat huddled close to one another for warmth, while Mugambi built a fire close to them over which he crouched. Tarzan and Sheeta, however, were of a different mind, for neither of them feared the jungle night, and the insistent craving of their hunger sent them off into the Stygian blackness of the forest in search of prey. Side by side they walked when there was room for two abreast, at other times in single file, first one and then the other in advance. It was Tarzan who first caught the scent of meat a bull buffalo, and presently the two came stealthily upon the sleeping beast in the midst of a dense jungle of reeds close to a river. Closer and closer they crept toward the unsuspecting beast, Sheeta upon his right side, and Tarzan upon his left nearest the great heart. They had hunted together now for some time, so that they worked in unison, with only low purring sounds as signals. For a moment they lay quite silent near their prey, and then at a sign from the ape-man, Sheeta sprang upon the great back, burying his strong teeth in the bull's neck. Instantly the brute sprang to his feet with a bellow of pain and rage, and at the same instant Tarzan rushed in upon his left side with the stone knife, striking repeatedly behind the shoulder. One of the ape-man's hands clutched the thick mane, and as the bull raced madly through the reeds the thing striking at his life was dragged beside him. Sheeta but clung tenuously to his hold upon the neck and back, biting deep in an effort to reach the spine. For several hundred yards the bellowing bull carried his two savage antagonists, until at last the blade found his heart, when with a final bellow that was half scream he plunged headlong to the earth. Then Tarzan and Sheeta feasted to repletion. 
After the meal the two curled up together in a thicket, the man's black head pillowed upon the tawny side of the panther. Shortly after dawn they awoke and ate again, and then returned to the beach that Tarzan might lead the balance of the pack to the kill. When the meal was done, the brutes were for curling up to sleep, so Tarzan and Mugambi set off in search of the Ugambi River. They had proceeded scarce a hundred yards when they came suddenly upon a broad stream, which the negro instantly recognized as that down which he and his warriors had paddled to the sea upon their ill-starred expedition. The two now followed the stream down to the ocean, finding that it emptied into a bay not over a mile from the point upon the beach at which the canoe had been thrown the night before. Tarzan was much elated by the discovery, as he knew that in the vicinity of a large watercourse he should find natives, and from some of these he had little doubt but that he should obtain news of Rokoff and the child, for he felt reasonably certain that the Russian would rid himself of the baby as quickly as possible after having disposed of Tarzan. He and Mungambi now righted and launched the dugout though it was a most difficult feat in the face of the surf which rolled continuously in upon the beach. But at last they were successful, and soon after were paddling up the coast toward the mouth of the Ungambi. Here they experienced considerable difficulty in making an entrance against the combined current and ebb tide, but by taking advantage of eddies close into shore, they came about dusk to a point nearly opposite the spot where they had left the pack asleep. Making the craft fast to an overhanging bough, the two made their way into the jungle, presently coming upon some of the apes feeding upon fruit little beyond the reeds where the buffalo had fallen. Sheeta was not anywhere to be seen, nor did he return that night, so Tarzan came to believe that he had wandered away in search of his own kind. Early the next morning the ape-man led his band down to the river, and as he walked he gave vent to a series of shrill cries. Presently from a great distance and faintly there came an answering scream, and a half-hour later the lithe form of Sheeta bounded into view where the others of the pack were clambering gingerly into the canoe. The great beast, with arched back and purring like a contented tabby, rubbed his sides against the ape-man, and then at a word from the latter sprang lightly to its former place in the bow of the dugout. When all were in place it was discovered that two of the apes of a cut were missing, and though both the king ape and Tarzan called to them for the better part of an hour there was no response, and finally the boat put off without them. As it happened that the two missing ones were the very same who had evinced the least desire to accompany the expedition from the island and had suffered the most from fright during the voyage, Tarzan was quite sure that they had absented themselves purposely rather than again enter the canoe. As the party were putting in for the shore shortly after noon to search for food, a slender naked savage watched them for a moment from behind the dense screen of verdure which lined the river's bank. Then he melted away upstream before any of those in the canoe discovered him. Like a deer he bounded along the narrow trail until, filled with the excitement of his news, he burst into a native village several miles above the point at which Tarzan and his pack had stopped to hunt. "'Another white man is coming,' he cried to the chief who squatted before the entrance to a circular hut. "'Another white man, and with him are many warriors. They come in a great war canoe to kill and rob, as did the black-bearded one who has just left us.' Kaviri leaped to his feet. He had but recently had a taste of the white man's medicine and his savage heart was filled with bitterness and hate. In another moment the rumble of the war-drums rose from the village, calling in the hunters from the forest and the tillers from the fields. Seven war-canoes were launched and manned by paint-daubed, befeathered warriors. Long spears bristled from the rude battleships, as they slid noiselessly over the bosom of the water, propelled by giant muscles rolling beneath glistening ebony hides. There was no beating of tom-toms now, nor blare of native horn, for Kavari was a crafty warrior, and it was in his mind to take no chances if they could be avoided. He would swoop noiselessly down with his seven canoes upon the single one of the white man, 
and before the guns of the latter could inflict much damage upon his people, he would have overwhelmed the enemy by force of numbers. Kaviri's own canoe went in advance of the others a short distance, and as it rounded a sharp bend in the river where the swift current bore it rapidly on its way, it came suddenly upon the thing that Kaviri sought. So close were the two canoes to one another that the black had only an opportunity to note the white face in the bow of the oncoming craft before the two touched and his own men were upon their feet, yelling like mad devils and thrusting their long spears at the occupants of the other canoe. But a moment later, when Kaviri was able to realize the nature of the crew that manned the white man's dugout, he would have given all the beads and iron wire that he possessed to have been safely within his distant village. Scarcely had the two craft come together than the frightful apes of a cut rose, growling and barking, from the bottom of the canoe, and, with long hairy arms far outstretched, grasped the menacing spears from the hands of Kaviri's warriors. The blacks were overcome with terror, but there was nothing to do other than fight. Now came the other war canoes rapidly down upon the two craft. Their occupants were eager to join the battle, for they thought that their foes were white men and their native porters. They swarmed about Tarzan's craft but when they saw the nature of the enemy, all but one turned and paddled swiftly upriver. That one came too close to the ape-man's craft before its occupants realized that their fellows were pitted against demons instead of men. As it touched, Tarzan spoke a few low words to Sheeta and Akut, so that before the attacking warriors could draw away, there sprang upon them with a blood-freezing scream, a huge panther, and into the other end of their canoe clambered a great ape. At one end the panther wrought fearful havoc with his mighty talons and long sharp fangs, while a cut at the other buried his yellow canines in the necks of those that came within his reach, hurling the terror-stricken blacks overboard as he made his way toward the center of the canoe. Kaviri was so busily engaged with the demons that had entered his own craft that he could offer no assistance to his warriors in the other. A giant of a white devil had wrested a spear from him as though he, the mighty Kaviri, had been but a new-born babe. Hairy monsters were overcoming his fighting men, and a black chieftain like himself was fighting shoulder to shoulder with the hideous pack that opposed him. Kaviri battled bravely against his antagonist, for he felt that death had already claimed him, and so the least that he could do would be to sell his life as dearly as possible. But it was soon evident that his best was quite futile when pitted against the superhuman brawn and agility of the creature that at last found his throat and bent him back into the bottom of the canoe. Presently Kaviri's head began to whirl. Objects became confused and dim before his eyes. There was a great pain in his chest as he struggled for the breath of life that the thing upon him was shutting off forever. Then he lost consciousness. When he opened his eyes once more, he found, much to his surprise, that he was not dead. He lay, securely bound, in the bottom of his own canoe. A great panther sat upon its haunches, looking down upon him. Kaviri shuddered and closed his eyes again, waiting for the ferocious creature to spring upon him and put him out of his misery of terror. After a moment, no rending fangs having buried themselves in his trembling body, he again ventured to open his eyes. Beyond the panther kneeled the white giant who had overcome him. The man was wielding a paddle, while directly behind him Kaviri saw some of his own warriors similarly engaged. Back of them again squatted several of the hairy apes. Tarzan, seeing that the chief had regained consciousness, addressed him. "'Your warriors tell me that you are chief of a numerous people, and that your name is Kaviri,' he said. Yes, replied the black. Why did you attack me? I came in peace. Another white man came in peace three moons ago, replied Kaviri, and after we had brought him presents of a goat and cassava and milk, he set upon us with his guns and killed many of my people, and then went on his way, taking all of our goats and many of our young men and women. 
I am not as this other white man, replied Tarzan. I should not have harmed you had you not set upon me. Tell me, what was the face of this bad white man like? I am searching for one who has wronged me. Possibly this may be the very one. He was a man with a bad face covered with a great black beard, and he was very, very wicked. Yes, very wicked indeed. Was there a little white child with him? asked Tarzan. His heart almost stopped as he awaited the black's answer. No, Buana, replied Kaviri. The white child was not with this man's party. It was with the other party. Other party? exclaimed Tarzan. What other party? With the party that the very bad white man was pursuing. There was a white man, woman, and the child, with six Masula porters. They passed up the river three days ahead of the very bad white man. I think that they were running away from him. A white man, woman, and child. Tarzan was puzzled. The child must be his little Jack, but who could the woman be, and the man? Was it possible that one of Rokoff's confederates had conspired with some woman, who had accompanied the Russian, to steal the baby from him? If this was the case, they had doubtless purposed returning the child to civilization, and there either claiming a reward or holding the little prisoner for ransom. But now that Rokoff had succeeded in chasing them far inland, up the savage river, there could be little doubt but that he would eventually overhaul them, unless, as was still more probable, they should be captured and killed by the very cannibals farther up the Ungambi, whom Tarzan was now convinced it had been Rokoff's intention to deliver the baby. As he talked to Kaviri, the canoes had been moving steadily upriver toward the chief's village. Kaviri's warriors plied the paddles in the three canoes, casting sidelong terrified glances at their hideous passengers. Three of the apes of Akut had been killed in the encounter, but there were, with Akut, eight of the frightful beasts remaining, and there was Sheeta, the panther, and Tarzan, and Mugambi. Kaviri's warriors thought that they had never seen so terrible a crew in all their lives. Momentarily they expected to be pounced upon and torn asunder by some of their captors, and, in fact, it was all that Tarzan and Mugambi and Akut could do to keep the snarling, ill-natured brutes from snapping at the glistening, naked bodies that brushed against them now and then with the movements of the paddlers, whose very fear added incitement to the beast. At Kaviri's camp, Tarzan paused only long enough to eat the food that the blacks furnished, and to arrange with the chief for a dozen men to man the paddles of his canoe. Kaviri was only too glad to comply with any demands that the ape-man might make if only such compliance would hasten the departure of the horrid pack. But it was easier, he discovered, to promise men than to furnish them. For when his people learned his intentions, those that had not already fled into the jungle proceeded to do so without loss of time. So that when Kaviri turned to point out those who were to accompany Tarzan, he discovered that he was the only member of his tribe left in the village. Tarzan could not repress a smile. They do not seem anxious to accompany us, he said. But just remain quietly here, Kaviri, and presently you shall see your people flocking to your side. Then the ape-man rose, and, calling his pack about him, commanded that Mungambi remain with Kaviri, and disappeared in the jungle with Sheeta and the apes at his heels. For half an hour the silence of the grim forest was broken only by the ordinary sounds of the teeming life that but adds to its lowering loneliness. Kaviri and Mungambi sat alone in the palisaded village, waiting. Presently from a great distance came a hideous sound. Mungambi recognized the weird challenge of the ape-man. Immediately from different points of the compass rose a horrid semicircle of similar shrieks and screams, punctuated now and again by the blood-curdling cry of a hungry panther. End of chapter 6